Good morning, everyone, and thank you to those joining us here and those that are joining us uh, via the web. So I think that we have two more sermons, and then we're going to be done with the book of Habakkuk. Isn't that uh, pretty, uh, pretty awesome, right? The book of Habakkuk, speaking of how a believer should face the world in times of uncertainty, in times of trials, in times of difficulty. And in that, I think that what is going on in our world today relates a lot to the book of Habakkuk. We are being faced here shortly with uh, perhaps uh, trials, not only of, of people being impacted in their jobs, uh, people being impacted in their homes uh, due to certain mandates that the government is uh, imposing. now. Why do I mention this? I've said this before, and I'll, I'll reiterate it. The most political statement ever is the following. Jesus is Lord. Many rulers throughout history have become aware of that because it has come to a point when they are trying to uh, push certain rulings that those Christians, they just won't, they won't fall in line, right? So all that to say that whatever it is that you're facing uh, or whether you, your family will be affected, where does the church stand? As I said, Jesus is Lord. Typically, when these types of mandates are given, they very seldom retract, but most often they expand to include more, right? So the question comes up, what's going to happen if we are being told that we need to ask for a health record of some sort as you come in here? That's where the state fails to understand that Jesus is Lord. And hence, at Acts Reformed Church, it will not get to a point where we're going to ask you, what your medical status is as you come through these doors. If we then become forced to either comply or, or close shop, we are not gonna close shop. If we need to, we're gonna go to our homes as we did briefly when we had, um, before we came to this facility. But uh, that's something that, it is not going to stop the proclamation of the good news of the gospel. And lastly, I also mentioned this because if Again, this is the real world. If any of you are facing uh, such a, a situation in your job where you need a, a religious exemption, I'll be more than glad to write you an exemption as the pastor of this church. Again, only reason I bring this up is because this is the real world we're living in. Christianity is not a set of platitudes of, yeah, praise Jesus and we are brothers and sisters. No. Christianity is, how does my worldview, how does the scripture apply to my everyday living that has application to my family, my job, my school, my church? And this is why I mentioned that. Know that Jesus is seated on the throne, regardless of whatever ends up happening here in the next months, in the next years. The plans of God are not are not distracted. May we be obedient 
to follow his word. So with that, the book of Habakkuk speaks of turbulent times in the times of the prophet Habakkuk, and in that sense speaks to us loudly and clearly. Let us go to chapter 3, the book of Habakkuk, starting in verse 2. Now, I don't think I remember when the last time I preached in such a long text. This is a long text, and we will see uh, why I chose to preach on these uh, 15 verses rather than uh, take it two or three verses at a time or sometimes even one verse at a time. So we will see why that is here briefly. So if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word as we turn to Habakkuk chapter 3, beginning in verse 2. The inerrant word of God reads as follows. O Lord, I have heard the report of you in your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Taman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light, rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea? when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation. You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you in writh, and raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out of the salvation of your people for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him there before from thigh to neck. Selah. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear in my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones, my legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we look at this text this morning, in the remembrance of the things that you have done for your people, for the people of Israel, may we take heed, Lord, of the wonderful and marvelous things that you've done in our lives to show your faithfulness. 
And that in the midst of troubles, tribulations, sickness, despair, depression, whatever it might be, that we may be thinking back to those times that you have showed us grace, mercy, peace, love, forgiveness, faithfulness, so that we may be, as Habakkuk names implies, that one who clings to, that one who holds on to, that we be holding on to Christ. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So the sermon of the title, uh, the title of the sermon, rather, as Brother James uh, mentioned, is God's glory in judgment. And it is a prayer of the prophet Habakkuk. This prayer that Habakkuk offered to God really embraces the identity of who Habakkuk is, is one who clings to, one who grabs onto. We will see how that applies, and his name is therefore very appropriate. So the things that Habakkuk is not asking is, he's not asking any longer, Lord, how come things are not going as I thought they should, or as I imagine that they should go? How many times in our lives things do not turn out as we plan them to be? Whether it is a simple interruption to our daily life, such as the inconvenience of a flat tire or too much traffic, to perhaps more serious interruptions, like the news that there was an expected death of a loved one or the discovery of a terminal illness in your spouse, your child, your parent, your close family member, or perhaps of a newlywed couple who had their life sorted out and plans and they were finally pregnant with the first kid and lost the kid. Or perhaps with the loss of employment what do you do? Where do you turn to? What should your cry be to God? I assume, or actually I know, that that has been the cases for some of us here. Either that or a variation of those trials. Where do we turn? When we come to this chapter in Habakkuk, we can see and we can glean knowledge and wisdom of what led him to say this prayer to God when things had not gone in the way that he had expected. So let's recap. What happened? How did we get here? Habakkuk saw the rampant wickedness of Judah, of his own people. His people were disobedient, sinners, rebels against God. He cries out to God in the form of two laments, right? meaning he's basically telling God, why? Why, are, why is this happening? I thought you were a good God. You seem to be idle, Lord. You're not coming to the rescue, to the redeeming of your people. Then Habakkuk is struck by an unexpected answer from God. And that basically is, yes, I'm aware, God is telling Habakkuk, and what I'm doing is actually I'm preparing your people, my people, for judgment, for their disobedience. Not only for judgment, but the way I'm going to execute that judgment, God tells Habakkuk, 
is by using people that are even more wicked than Judah, than the people of Israel. And that really throws off Habakkuk, right? He has more questions for God. But then God makes it clear that he is aware of what's going on in the land of Judah, in the people of Habakkuk, which is God's people. And God assures him that he is in control of the situation, that he has complete sovereignty over what is going on. And God assures Habakkuk that because he is holy, because of God's holiness, that justice will take place. Now in his humanity, Habakkuk still has fear, right? In our lives, even if we know that God is good and we're trusting in him and we're still moving forward in our lives, trusting God, we have to be honest and realize that we may still have fear, just like Habakkuk did. And in the height of that distress, Habakkuk turns to God, which ultimately gives him peace. We could start to see that in the passage we read today, but we'll conclude that portion next week when we see the peace that Habakkuk encountered at the end of his prayer. And he encounters this peace by putting his trust in God despite of his human tendency to have fear in the midst of uncertainty. My friends, in our uncertainties, what do you do? I have often heard in the world of saying something like, if all else fails, pray. Right? As Christians, we should say, I'm going to follow my knees and pray right now. And then I'm going to trust that the Lord is with me and I'm going to go and do. Pray and do. The necessity to turn to God in our adversity, in the midst of tragedies, as Habakkuk did, there's a call for us to turn to God and worship him for who he is. That is what Habakkuk does. And by doing so, Habakkuk reaches that peace that we are told in the New Testament in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. I'll read that. I think that's the embodiment of the prayer of Habakkuk. This is what Philippians tells us, the Apostle Paul writing. It reads, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That would be a summary of the sentiment of Habakkuk as he comes to his prayer. So in short, this peace... And that contentment is what is illustrated in the prayer that we just read today. Now, not because things are going to get better, right? Habakkuk has come to terms that there's going to be violence and his people, his town, his community is going to be plundered. Yet he turns to God in worship, not because things are going to get, things are going to get better, but because Habakkuk knows that God is good. My friends, do you know that God is good? Do you know that God is good in the midst of your adversity? 
that God is in control, just as he was in the book of Habakkuk. When God was preparing his people for refinement, he may also be doing a work in my life, in your life, preparing us for a work of refinement, for us to depend on him. And that ultimately, as Romans say, says, that all things work for good for all those that love God. Otherwise, what is the alternative? What, God is not good? God is not in control? Something slipped through the cracks? And now he's scrambling, trying to see how he could make things better for you? No, my friends. The God of Scripture, the God that we know from that special revelation of Scripture, tells us and assures us that that's not the case. Although we may not exactly know why God is doing something during our trials, what we should be reminded of is that God is good. So as Habakkuk comes to terms with that, he acknowledges the glory of God in the coming judgment. And that's the theme of the sermon. We will see that as follows. First, we're going to see that God shows his glory in judgment by his proven faithfulness. Then we're going to see that God shows his glory in the coming judgment by his previous perfect justice and mercy that had been shown. And then we see that just as Habakkuk turned to God for mercy, we too have an invitation to rest, to fall upon the mercy of God. So let's take a look at point number one, God's proven faithfulness. Let us be reminded that this is a literature in the form of poetry. As verse one indicates, Brother Eric preached a couple weeks ago, that this is set up as a, as a prayer, but as a song is to be sang with, with an instrument. And the understanding from that is that the prayer of Habakkuk is very emotional and it is very passionate in the way that he is addressing God. So in the exposition of this passage, because it is poetic language, it is not narrative, it gives us the ease to look at it not necessarily in a chron chronological order as it is written. And we're going to do just that this morning. Because it's a long passage, we will point out some, but not all, aspects of how Habakkuk's praise to God is expressed. In that, God will show his glory as the judgment is coming to the land of Judah. And in that, God shows his faithfulness. A common theme in scripture is that the people of God, when under a trial, respond is by recollecting, remembering what God had done in the past. We see that, for example, in Isaiah 63, verse 11. It says, Then he remembered the days of old, of Moses and his people. Where is he who brought them up out of the sea with a shepherd of his flock? Where is he who put in the midst of them his Holy Spirit? This is the method that Habakkuk is using in his prayer to God, to turn to worshiping of God while the inevitable judgment is coming. 
So let us take a look at what some of those remembrances are, as he points out here in chapter 3. Verses 3 and 4. God came from Taman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. This is in reference to the visible display of the glory of God when he gave his law, as we see in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 33, the, first, uh, the second and third verse read as follows. He said, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned from Seir upon us. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came from the ten thousands of holy ones with flaming fire at his right hand. Yes, he loved his people. All his holy ones were in his hand. So God's glory is being displayed in Habakkuk's reminder that God has revealed himself. We know that the Chaldeans that are coming to plunder their land, they're idolaters. God has not revealed himself to them with special revelation or by actually coming down and giving them his law. However, he has revealed himself to the people of Israel, to the chosen people. And in that, Habakkuk is saying, the Lord has revealed himself to us. He has been faithful. He has been merciful to do so. Next, God shows his proven faithfulness based on past judgments to humble those that rebelled against him. Specifically, when King Nebuchadnezzar would not let his people go. Verses 5 and 6. It says, Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. When we read verses like this, a very silly objection that I've heard, this is a side note, is like, see, God had to measure? Like, I thought he made it. Doesn't he know? What the critic doesn't understand is that this is poetic language. And in a sense, this is God basically revealing his word to us to give it to us at a level that he's condescending to us so that we would understand what he's trying to tell us. So let's keep that in mind as we read scripture, as we understand that there are different literary forms used in scripture. So here is reminding us that God sent plagues to Egypt, humbling and humiliating the ruler. And God is making it known that he is the one who sets his people free based on the doing of his hand. It is poetically describing how the mountains were scattered as God, as God acts in order to rescue his people and ultimately bring them to the promised land. In that, Habakkuk knows and is reminded that God is showing his faithfulness, has shown his faithfulness. Next reference Verses 8 and 15, that is a reminder of the parting of the Red Sea. Not only that, but also 
that God has made water come out of the rock. When Israel was in need of it. Not an insignificant event of how God had in the past delivered his people. And show them his faithfulness. Thus his glory and his power. Next reference shows God's past faithfulness. He literally made this, the sun and the moon stand still so that the enemies of the Israelites, the Canaanites in this, in this case, would not have the ability to escape while in battle and thus giving Israel the victory. Again, showing that God has been faithful, has intervened, has acted on behalf of his people. And then a reference on verse 13. This is basically a summary of why God has acted and intervened for his people. Let's read it. Verse 13 reads, You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. Selah. So why has God done these things in the history of his people? Why has God acted? I'll offer you two responses. First, the obvious as it says, for the salvation of his people. That ultimately speaks of a future spiritual salvation that is fulfilled in Christ. That reference could be understood here to the ultimate victory over sin and death in reference to Genesis 3. And that Christ crushed the head of the snake some commentaries also quote Psalm 74, 14 in making reference to uh, another sense uh, to a big snake. But here, basically, it could be interpreted that God is faithful because he has promised a future Messiah, ultimate salvation, spiritual rebirth in his Messiah. So, for the salvation of his people. Secondly, we know that God did this ultimately for his glory. God acts and does things in history to reveal and show his glory. Let us take a look at two verses that reminds us of that. Psalm 79 verse 9, it says, Help us, O God of our salvation. For the glory of your name, deliver us and atone for our sins for your name's sake. Psalm 106, 8 says, Yet he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. My friends, the scriptures are for us. They're God's special revelation, but they're not about us. They're about Christ, ultimately. Salvation is for us, but salvation is not about us. It's about God showing his power, his might, his glory. God's great love and mercy and kindness has been shown to us, but it's not about us. It is so that we might realize the great faithfulness to, of God to his people. And that 
as we see his majesty and glory, we would turn to him in repentance, acknowledging that he is the creator and we are the creature, not deserving of what he has given us. He does it for his glory. And in that, Habakkuk is reminding himself of how gracious, how faithful God has been in the past. And that's sort of an insurance, an assurance that he's going to be faithful now and in the future. Takes us to the second point, God's perfect justice and mercy. It is in this realization that God is good, that Habakkuk becomes aware that God is faithful, that he turns to worship and praise God for all that he has done. In all of God's dealings of justice, he has shown mercy. God's justice is accompanied by his mercy, by his grace. So let us go back to verse 2. It says, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear in the midst of the years, revive it in the midst of the years, make it known in wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk's attitude has changed from the initial chapters. God, don't you know what's going on? And if you do, please change this. Has gone from that to, Lord, I know that you are faithful. Lord, I have heard of your report. In the language there, it's alluding to somebody giving you news that you are now aware of. You are now reminded of. Habakkuk says, okay, I got it. I've been reminded. I know of the report of who you are. In remembering that, nevertheless, Habakkuk has fear. But, oh, he realizes that because of the past works of God, that above all, he should fear God. He says, I know what you have done, and of that, I'm fearful because of how powerful God is. And Habakkuk is now asking God to also make that known to the people. That as adversity comes and spanks them and knocks them out, that God is good and that he has been faithful in the past. My brothers and sisters, do you know that no matter how difficult your trials have been or are right now, do you know that God is showing you mercy? Now, what is mercy? God is not giving you what you really deserve. Not giving me what I really deserve. Death, judgment, a curse, not revealing the gospel to you, to me. Letting us remain lost in our sins on the way to hell. Yet, we know that God has shown you and has shown me mercy because we're here today listening to his word, listening to the gospel. He's doing that because of his kindness and love. But even more so, ultimately, because he is glorified in it as he reveals himself to us. God is glorified in saving sinners. Like me and like you. This is 
nicely summarized in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 5 and 6. It says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see God's mercy being given to us. My friends, the gospel is not revealed to everyone. Although many, many may hear the gospel, God may not reveal who he is to all. In the gospel, therefore, God's glory is revealed, not because of what intellect someone has or how much clever I am to understand the message and my neighbor. No, none of that. God's glory is revealed because he makes us see that although the gospel is not about us, the gospel is for us. In it, we see the perfect justice of God. The penalty of sins are being paid for, done. Jesus said it is finished as he died on the cross for his elect. While at the same time, we see that the mercy of God the salvation that is dependent upon the righteousness of God as he rescues us is given to us by grace through faith in what Christ has done. The glory of God revealed in the gospel and in judgment. So then thirdly, we see that this attitude of Habakkuk falling on the mercy of God is an invitation to all of us. In the midst of terror, disaster, distress, there is nowhere else to turn, even if God will first address our sin, even if God will first let us suffer the consequence of our sin, even if there's no better place to turn than to God. Habakkuk 3.16 reads as follows. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Habakkuk brings everything again to his personal situation. And that of his people. And yes, he remembers the faithfulness of God. Yes, he knows that God is good. He's aware of the past times that God delivered his people, yet in his humanity, he's acknowledging his weakness. He's acknowledging his mortality, poetically describing how his physical fear is manifested. He's aware of how vulnerable he is. But even with that fear, he trusts in God. And he says he's going to wait for the eventual justice that is going to come to those that are going to plunder his land. You see that he has faith that God is going to be just and he's no longer asking for God to do something right now because he knows God is going to do something. And he knows that the first thing God is going to do prior to bringing justice to their oppressors is they're going to be judged. He and his people are going to be judged collectively. 
My friends, do you trust that God will do what is right? And that means that God will do not what we want, but he will do what is right. Know this, God will do what is right, and he will do it in his perfect timing, not our timeline. And therefore, we can fall upon the mercy of God, knowing that there's nowhere else you could go, nowhere else you could go, but to fall upon the mercy of God. As we seek the peace and the reassurance that our mind is seeking constantly, that our hearts are seeking constantly. That peace which ultimately surpasses all understanding, not dependent on circumstance. As I was studying that this week, I was reminded of a great theologian of the past that I actually didn't know about him until I, I'm taking a course right now on English Particular Baptist. His name was Andrew Fuller. Born in 1754, died in 1815. What's interesting about his conversion story that really struck me as I studied Habakkuk chapter 3 is that he was raised in the time of the dissenters. The dissenters were those that opposed the Anglican Church, the state church in England. And he was raised, unfortunately, but ultimately to the glory of God, as we will see, he was raised under a hyper-Calvinist, what at that time they called a high-Calvinist. As he grew into a young man, he was bothered by his sin. The Spirit of God convicted him of his sin. But yet, he could quite never understand the made-up prerequisite that he needed in order to come to God for mercy in repentance. Since he was wrongly taught that the gospel had nothing to say to him as an unrepentant, as an unregenerate sinner. And as Andrew Fuller became more and more distressed about his situation, he records how he wept day after day because he felt miserable knowing that he needed God, but yet he, he didn't have anything to grab onto that could enable him to go to God for salvation. He recounts how he meditated on the word of God, specifically in the book of Esther, and how Esther courageously went to the king without being summoned in that time and in that context, meaning that she could face death penalty for doing that. He also meditated on the words of Job when Job said, though, guys, though God slay me, yet I will trust in him. In that sentiment, Fuller writes about his resolve to fall upon the mercy of God. I have the quote. Andrew Fuller said, Yet, it was not altogether from a dread of wrath that I fled to this refuge. For I well remember that I felt something attracting in the Savior. I must, I will, yes, I will trust my soul, my sinful lost soul in his hands. If I perish, I perish. Oh, my friends. May we have that type of trust where in the midst of our sin, our rebelliousness, our sinful habits, to cast up our, ourselves upon the mercy of God. 
to know that nowhere else that we turn is going to be a benefit. Nowhere else. Have you cast yourself on the mercy of God? Not looking to anything good that you've done, but rather with the understanding that you are a sinner undeserving of God's forgiveness. Or, may you be warned, have you seen the faithfulness of God in your life and still refused to say no to your sin and a forsaken Christ? Perhaps in a superficial, lukewarm commitment to Christ. This is a warning, my brothers, my sisters, for us to fall upon the mercy of God in repentance. So we have seen then the prayer of Habakkuk. From questioning God to being reminded of God's greatness. From wondering where the God will act to the certainty that he will act. But not how he expected. He's now come to terms to, with that. And under that distress, he very passionately and emotionally worships God. Falls upon the mercy of God. That is Habakkuk's prayer that we see recorded there. We will finish it next week. But that leaves me with this. My friends, what is your prayer today? What is your prayer today? As we've seen what Habakkuk's prayer was. What is your prayer? I will pray. And after that, we will live a minute of silence for our own personal prayers and reflections that each of us can make in prayer to the Lord based on what we've seen today in his scripture. A time of repentance, a time of us acknowledging that perhaps we know that God has been faithful and yet we turn like the dark returns to its vomit and go back to sin. Perhaps repentance of a lukewarm commitment to Christ, knowing that he is good, knowing that he is gracious. And perhaps we think we, by just checking the box that I congregated on Sunday, I'm good. What is your prayer today? I will pray now. And we'll leave a minute of reflection for our own prayer after that. Heavenly Father, thank you for reminding us that you are a merciful God. And that you act ultimately, yes, for our good, but ultimately for your own glory. Please bring to our remembrance, Lord, the times that you have been good to us. All those times that you have delivered us and our loved ones. And even in difficult times when we didn't get the answer to the prayer that we thought was best. And yet, it was for our own good. We thank you for that, Lord. In that, you have brought ourselves closer to you. You have drawn us to yourself to depend upon you. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you have forgiven us by trusting in you. That you have paid the price for our sins when you died on the cross and rose again from the grave, defeating sin and death, giving us the certainty of the resurrection and eternal life. 
Thank you, Holy Spirit, for convicting us of sin. And perhaps if any amongst us does not have that saving faith, that saving conviction, Lord, Holy Spirit, we pray, we plead that you will convict the person that doesn't know you so that they will trust in you today. That there will be true repentance and a changed life. In all this, we thank you, Lord. We praise you. And may your faithfulness make us turn, as Habakkuk did, from worry, from distress, from bitterness, perhaps, from anger. That it will turn us from that to worship. We pray this, Lord, now in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.